Welcome everybody to The Movie Men. I'm Callum O'Toole and I'm joined as usual by Johnny Smith and James Pugh. And boy do we have some treats in store for you tonight because not only are we going to be looking at T2, the Trainspotting sequel later, we'll also be looking ahead to the Oscars as well and giving some of our picks for who's going to take home the biggest prizes in American cinema. But to begin the show, first off... We're going to have a little opening question. So, James, the opening question uh, is that Disney have announced that there will be a Guardians of Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy ride, which is soon to open at Disneyland. But what film do you think would make a great or, on the flip side, terrible theme park ride? Good question. Oh, it's Good. a great question, isn't it? It's almost as if someone <laughs> so else what? came up with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a big fan of movie-themed rides. Like, I love Universal Studios, um both LA and Florida so I've been thinking about this for, for a while just in my spare time I think, oh, <laughs> for oh, years <laughs> waiting for this moment I've got a theme park on my <laughs> my top pick would which is a quite conventional and easy part to a theme park ride would be Ghostbusters mm-hmm. you know you get your shooting one you this is on the great ride yeah this is yeah. a great ride one and that'd be pretty good and then I also kind of thought about maybe like Drive and in the same kind of element Bullet um, with Steve McQueen if you did Drive you just have to be silent all the time on the ride. We've got a lot of neon lights. Yeah, a lot yeah. of neon lights, a lot of kind of like, you know, synth music, like <laughs> rushing around streets or like... Sounds like a sketchy club. Yeah, I, I, think, it'd, I think it'd be pretty cool. And then that got me thinking about doing a John Carpenter one where it would just be like a ghost train full of mist and synth and just people's shadows for like five minutes. It seems like bright lights, people walking. You're less designing a ride here in the whole theme park, James. Yes, yeah, so, okay, so, uh, yeah, anyway, so you have a terrible epileptic fit from all, yeah. the, all the neon lights I, yeah. and mist. Yeah. <laughs> that's, like, that's like Laser Quest, though. That's pretty much all that. <laughs> you just described Laser yeah. Quest. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe I should just go Laser Quest and just listen to some Shooting, shooting things, neon lights and mist. That is literally like, Laser Quest. That's a very good point. So, in answer to your question, Callum, if I could create any film as a ride, I would just go to Laser Quest. <laughs> Laser Quest is a thoroughly underrated day out, it, I think. It is, especially when you go in as an adult and, yeah. and it's like a kid's party, some 12 year old birthday party, and you're in there and you're like. Steady, steady on, just yeah, <laughs> school not some, too far. No, no, it's just school some kids at Laser Quest. They've got to learn somehow. As a kid, you know there's always going to be other kids around to play Laser Quest. Yeah. As an adult, you kind of have to time it right. I remember waiting outside the Trafford Centre one for ages, just being like, no one over the age of 14's gone in there yet. Yeah. I can't go in. Uh, Johnny. What about you? What ride would you pick? Um, I mean, James's idea sounds quite fun, so I thought I'd think of something really sadistic and miserable mm. that people would really hate. <laughs> and what most people hate at some point or another is doing Shakespeare at school. Oh, right. Okay. So I thought we'd have Kenneth Branagh <laughs> Rolls off the tongue nicely. Great. So basically, you'd, you'd queue up for a long time, pay a lot of money to go in, and then you'd be forced into either Hamlet or Macbeth, and basically forced into a five-hour play. <laughs> <laughs> and then at great. the end you leave and that's it and maybe you get you have to pay for a photo of you in full costume that's basically like queuing anyway yeah just like being forced into like five hours worth of something you yeah. don't want to be and doing and then Kenneth Branagh just shouts at you for getting your lines wrong well um, I've gone I thought mine would be quite obvious I'm surprised no, I, I, uh, the human centipede ride oh I mean <laughs> I don't think Naturally. I don't think you need to elaborate Naturally. much further would it be a roller coaster well it would be a yeah, roller coaster you, well, because be ride, you would it? sit in would just be 
the shape end of to human. End. So you yeah. would sit on the back of this fake human's back, almost like the steeplechase in Blackpool Pleasure oh, Beach. No, no just, fake humans. And just hold the, a rein around their neck. <laughs> and then as you went round, they would groan and be like, maybe kick back up and you're like, whoa! And you're trying to like, hold on to the roller coaster. Like a fucking bronco. Well, I was thinking... Almost, that, yeah. Well, that's, that's, a lot, that's a lot nicer than what I was imagining for mine. But yeah, so we'll go with that. We'll go with that and... You think you're more like Air at Alton Towers, but instead of being lying down, you're on all fours with a stranger in front and behind. Yes. Obviously, that's one of those where you have to be in the front. You want to be in the front. To get the full experience. You don't want to be at the back. No, you... Actually, the middle. This is where you need to be at the back to get the full experience. Yes. Hello, Mark. So, what have you been up to for 20 years? Choose life. Choose Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and hope that someone, somewhere, cares. Missed you, mate. I missed you too, Spud. And choose watching history repeat itself. Hello, Franco. Simon. I'm home. As promised, as billed, we're going to be reviewing T2, which is the sequel to the 1996, I want to say, film Train Spotting. So, 20 years later, Mark Renton returns to Edinburgh, and it is Edinburgh this time, I think. They felt they shot mm-hmm. it in, as opposed to Glasgow last time, uh, to reunite with some of his old friends and enemies. So, uh, first off, guys, was it a good idea to go back and remake this film? Such an iconic. Huge film of the 90s, so groundbreaking when it came out. Well, there was there was only one way they could have done it, and it was the route they went down. So, to kind of part the film, so to speak, and have it set in the 21st century, with 21st century life and 21st century music and 21st century ideals, mm. like Trainspotting was to the 90s, I don't think it would have worked or translated as well. Yeah. But because this, it was about them, him going back home, and reliving his life and reliving their youth and reliving the first film, it lived in this kind of nostalgia bubble where it was very self-aware of the other film and knew it existed yeah. and hit the same beats and talked about the same things. And because because it, it was like that, you kind of forgave it and immediately kind of bought in because it had been 20 years. So you kind of like, oh, this is, you know, yeah, I remember how good the first was. I remember that. But in that sense, Johnny, does that not... You know, in terms of the need to go and remake this, does it add anything to the train spotting? Well, I was going to say canon, but does two films make it canon? Probably not. I don't think it probably adds anything that the first, you know, adds to anything the first one hasn't already done and yeah. done really well. But I think it was sort of inevitable they were going to make another one and it had to really? come. It still feels like one of those things that they were always going to do. And I think sort of Danny Boyle spoke about having the chance to do it a few times before and being like, it's not, you know, it's not right, the script's not right. So clearly this was the moment he felt, you know, it could be done and they all came together for it. Yeah. And I think, as sort of James said, the key thing is it knows sort of what it's doing and it's, so, it's aware of the fact it is like a nostalgia thing. Mm-hmm. But it's thing with nostalgia. But instead of, you know, just being like, let's do all the same stuff again, like, you know, a lot of remakes or sort of reboots and things and sequels... Mm. You know, it goes out its way to sort of explore nostalgia, and it's like, why are we obsessed with you know twenty years ago? Yeah, I think that's what all the characters go through. But you know, as much as the audience sort of go through it and go, oh yeah, it wasn't you know twenty years ago a great time, and you sort of look where you've got to and the decisions that have got you there. Absolutely, I think that's the thing. It knows the audience have sort of grown up with it. So when you know Renton and Co are sort of looking back on it, mm. you know, with sort of rose tinted glasses, everyone in the audience is sort of doing the same thing, and and you know, see how their lives changed in 20 years. In that aspect, I, I found it comparable in themes to Toy Story 3. 
the, na- the natural uh, the movement. The only podcast <laughs> where you'll find T two compared to T S three. Well, <laughs> maybe for maybe more for people that are say seven to eight, maybe ten years older than us, who were in their early twenties when Train Spotting came out, who were living that life of debauchery madness at the time where it came out when this film came out and really encaptured in a, a generation and how they yeah. felt. It kind of just bookends a period in these people's lives really well. And I think that's why audiences have kind of connected with it. I, and I, don't, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say barely anything's changed in their lives. Their lives are pretty much still the same. I think that's sort of the left. thing, isn't it? Is yeah. that, that you've, at the time, you know, obviously, Trainspotting's kind of negative and there's a lot of bad things happening. But there's sort of a hope and optimism and energy about the future. And it's Absolutely. fizzled to, you know, nothing really. And, and they sort of are all... Staring back and thinking, yeah. shit, what have we done in 20 years? Nothing really. No Renton anything. struggled and, you know, fought and risked his life to, to get out to, you know, during the first train spot, to get out of this kind of rut yeah. he was in and find his life. And that was such a struggle that he went through. Um, so it's really interesting to see him kind of go back and see, was it worth it, you know? Yeah. I think that. What, what did you make of the actual storyline itself? Because it, <laughs> is what. <laughs> I mean, what is the storyline, really? Yeah. The storyline is. These four guys have got back together and they're sort of, you know, reconnecting and assessing their lives. And then there's a side story about them needing to raise these funds to open... A brothel? A brothel, basically, as a, uh enterprising <laughs> industry of, of Edinburgh. Yeah. So, I didn't uh, realise it was that easy to get money off the EU. <laughs> not for long, though, I'll tell you what. Cheers, Johnny. The biggest kind of... Weakness. The Edinburgh service. <laughs> the biggest weakness in that aspect for me was how they, and I hate saying this because Begbie was one of my favourite characters in the first one, is how critical to the plot Begbie was. Uh, I just felt that to play him in this as such a a villain was such an easy and basic um, narrative tool, uh, and I felt that he kind of belittled his character and the development we saw him and he didn't really feel like the Begbie I remember from the first one whereas all the other characters every, yeah and everyone else was exactly how I remember them yeah in terms of how they're acting I'm like yeah that's exactly it's it was a bit different actually he was a lot angrier but that but he was supposed one. but that was it he was yeah. he was supposed to be yeah and I believe that whereas with Begbie yeah. he was he was a nutter in the first one but he was he was instinctive and he was He'd act in the boat. He was spontaneous, you know. He was un- unpredictable, and everyone used to say, "Oh, well, he's a mate," and they'd forgive him, and they'd still hang out with him, and they'd be okay. Whereas in this, he was kind of this caricatured pantomime villain. Yeah. Whereas to keep that mystique of him, like, "Oh my God, what is he going to do?" You don't know. Was a lot more terrifying than having him build up this aggression throughout the film. Like, oh, I really want to get my hands on him. Like, it mm. took away the kind of the spark of his character, which was. One minute he's completely fine, then everything is going to go to shit. And yeah. I, he was I, just a Yosemite Sam sort of running li- around. With yeah. Natasha, it was. It was human. And, it, and, and I think that was the weakest part of, uh, part of the narrative. Um, what about the shoehorning in of Diane? <laughs> just, oh yeah, we get her back as well for a yeah, scene. Yeah, that was a bit of a... Yeah, had to get everyone back. for a scene. And uh, <laughs> that was poor, I thought. Irvin Welsh making a, an appearance. Oh, I don't know. Oh, as the bald... Bloke Begbie sells the the stolen TV to no, quite early on. Really? That was really? In, yeah. Wow. So yeah. now you know if you see no, no, a very good, bald man. Good trivia, Johnny. Well, um, there's no denying that Danny Boyle's an incredibly creative director. There's so much awesome visual stuff in there, so many great little ideas. He always just pops them in. Um, yeah. What were some of the ones that sort of stood out to you from that, really? I like the... There's a bit where... When um, Renton goes home and has dinner with his dad. Yes. And... 
the mom has has died, but they're having this dinner, but there's like a shadow cast over sort of where her place was, and it's sort of, it's you know, it's not that subtle, it? yeah. but it, it, it's a nice sort yeah. of way. I think that's the thing is it draws on the first one, but in slightly different yeah. ways that you go, oh, yeah, I see, you know, you see the nod to it, but it's not just a straightforward, Definitely. you know, like yeah. call back to this. They've tried to tweak it a bit. And... There's, some, there's some weird disjointed jump cutting that didn't mm. quite work for me to try and Yeah, the sort of like freeze, freeze yeah. sort of frames was a bit... Yeah. Uh, that was Bizarre. a bit strange, but um, I, I I thought that missed the mark a little bit. But for all the films he's done, he's, he still comes at things with fresh ideas. Which I think, yeah. really I think, I think that's director. the good thing about this is that he's not going through the motions. You know, he's yeah. tried new stuff, and yeah. some of it, you know, some of the sort of it would have been easy take, to phone it in and just take. Yeah, money, definitely. Yeah. And I think you know the, 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 the sort script. of different styles and the the sort of way it's filmed and stuff. He's trying to do something new, and obviously, it's never going to quite have that same fresh, you know, rawness that I think the original where it was let's try it and it came off really well you know it's hard to sort of recreate that sort of spontaneity but yeah. you know I think that the soundtrack is probably one bit I was a bit disappointed in because mm-hmm. obviously you know you don't want to replicate the first one Yeah, but they didn't quite was, have the sort of memorable you know there was, feel there was only one track that really kind of like blew me away which was Silk by Wolf Alice toward the end mm. that last yeah. track which like hit me suddenly just hit I was like Damn, I, I realised I'd not been paying attention to any of the music and suddenly that made the visuals a lot better and it gave me like, the chills like, I think the, first right, this, the music didn't a really drive a lot of it like was um, no. Young Fathers I think used like three mm, tracks yeah. by Young Fathers but and Danny Boy was you know really praising them in sort of interviews before but it didn't they didn't really stand out to yeah, me at all yeah. I, I think that like, none of it was particularly memorable so what about out of ten rating wise James oh. come to you first so I was going I was going to give it a seven Mm-hmm. I'm very generous with ratings, but mm-hmm. having sat and thought about it before this again and discussing it again, and the eyes, the rose tinted glasses of nostalgia like the film was about, I kind of want to give it an eight. Johnny, I think I will plump for an eight as well. I, yeah. you know, I think it could have been a complete disaster zone, and yeah. it's avoided that. And I mm. think not all that comes together; it doesn't quite work. But it's so it's so aware of itself and aware of what the appeal is of putting this film on yeah. twenty years later. That was young. Because like 1996 was, you know, you had Euro 96 and Britpop was in full swing and this came out and it was like such a positive time of excitement and energy and I think, you know, it's saying, you know, why why do we, you know, people clinging on to that so much and I think that's something that sort of, everyone can, you know, enjoy that sort of nostalgic sort of feeling, so, Yeah. yeah, Nate. It was definitely an enjoyable film. Uh, I don't think it had a great deal going for it outside of the nostalgia volume, though. I think that, did I say volume? <laughs> if it relied for me too heavily on the first film to like really engage you, most of the best stuff was like flashback scenes and like referring back to the rest of it. So while I enjoyed it, I'm probably just going to have to give it a seven. You're an addict. So be addicted. Just be addicted to something else. Choose the ones you love. Choose your future. Choose life. So, tonight's top five is going to come from James Pugh. James, what have you got up your sleeve? Up your short sleeves? It was was really difficult to... I kept coming up with a tough job here to define what I actually wanted. I know all, but then to put that in words and communicate that to other human beings. (laughs) Is it like at university when when you have to write an essay but they don't give you a question? Yeah. And you're like, I don't know what to do. Just give me a question. 
So I wanted to do, in the kind of vein of train spotting, which was famous for its music and iconic soundtrack, was films that are soundtracked by by pop music. So not scores, yeah. but films that are that that are scored with music already released. Like Quentin Tarantino. Like Quentin Tarantino and things like that, where his films are actually scored by film that songs that were already out, not recorded for the for the film. Yeah. A pop music soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'll tell you the writer, can't you? Jesus. <laughs> so, I've got honourable mentions uh, of Easy Rider, Pulp Fiction. Now, this is, this Ooh, is wow. unusual. Do the honourable mentions first. Yeah. This is good. I mean, these are big films. <laughs> and yeah. Walk the Line, which which I kind of... which I was a bit... Mm, because it was about mm. the artist. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, mm. that, so mm. there, are some the, there are some of the top five, which <laughs> I think... There's some of the top five that I think you're going to... Shout can you, can you move to get that from honourable mentions to mmm? <laughs> sure, <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well. Uh, so, in no particular order, I've got 500 Days of Summer. Yes. Yeah, good, which yeah. is often overlooked, but with songs like Us by Regina Spector, There Is A Light That Never Goes Out, and Please, Please, Please Let Me Get What You Want, Let Me Get What I Want by The Smiths. You massively reprised that song, didn't it, really? That's, yeah, it's very much it, and it's got a bit of Hall and Oates. Yeah, you make my dream. Who doesn't like a bit of Hall and Oates? What film doesn't have a bit, a little bit <laughs> yeah. of Hall and Oates? If you listen really carefully to every film, there's a bit of Hall and Oates. There's a little bit of Hall and Oates in all of us. Montage, <laughs> sound, set to a montage, Hall and Oates. Yeah. But, but yeah, I thought that film soundtrack was great, and it sold so many copies and uh, yeah. all sorts. So I thought that was worth putting. Here in. comes the fear. The end song, isn't it? Yeah, great. Yeah, and there's a lot of references in the film about mm. music, don't they? So I'm going to go jump to another controversial one. Yeah. Uh, Blues Brothers. Mm. Which, mm. Mm. You, so you, no, you were right to, um, but let me just read you some of the like the songs, like the Peter Gunn theme, which is great, Shake a Tail Feather, Sweet Home Chicago, Think by Aretha Franklin. I think this one's song. more okay. Like that's yeah. pretty. Like those are some great tracks. It's you look got at some, the songs. You know, there's a lot of all the all it's, the soul legends turn up, don't they? Absolutely. Ray so, Charles and James Brown. I thought that was a good one. The okay, So the, another one which is an arguable one, which I wanted to take out <laughs> on my way here. When I love thought, controversy. When I thought about it, I wanted to take it out. It's Purple Rain. Now, <laughs> now this is at first I thought, genius Purple Rain, what an album. And then I was doing some research. It was made and... to sell the album. Well, yeah, you're right. That's what I realised afterwards. That it actually, let, let me just phrase this, this right. This is a new one... list of albums. Albums scored with a film. Well, it, it was when it, I realised that it won the Academy yeah. Award for Best Original Song Score. It's like, original, yeah. That's literally the opposite of what I'm trying to do. tracks went to number one. <laughs> yeah. We're never allowed to stand on a thing. So I'm, I'm willing to take that one out for Pulp Fiction if you guys are. Have that you got any left? Fair enough. Yeah, man, we've got two more. <laughs> So, yeah, I'd, I'd swap Purple Rain out for Pulp Fiction. You persuaded me. Um, another one uh, is Royal Tenenbaums. I could have picked any uh, Wes Anderson film. It was between Life Aquatic and this. I went for this. These Days by Nico, Police and Thieves for the Clash, Judy's a Punk, Needle in the Hay by Elliot Smith, which is a which is a great scene, and Everyone by Van Morrison at the end. Um, it's got so many good tracks in. That is a good soundtrack. It's a great soundtrack. Steve Zizo is a lot of David Bowie. It, yeah, that's what in I mean. Spanish, I seem yeah. to remember. Which is why I <laughs> almost picked it, but, yeah, um, but not. And then David, David Bowie's so 2016. And then number one, <laughs> which I would put at number one, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Have put at number one. I have put at number one. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> no, Guardians of the Galaxy. Hooked on a feeling by Moon Age Daydream by David Bowie I Want You Back by Jackson 5 Come and Get Your Love by Redbone Ain't No Mountain High Marvin Gaye 
you know, the yeah. list goes on. That's some great soundtrack. tracks. Yeah. some great tracks. And that is what sort of made it to an extent because the whole... A hundred percent. The whole thing is, you know, the volume of music is, and, is and very the fact that big. I think that deserved to list in my top five. Oh, I enjoyed the list. I enjoyed going list. through it. There were some thoroughly controversial ones on there. I'd have to, I'd have to strike Purple I'm exa- Rain. I'm exhausted <laughs> from umming. <laughs> Well, Purple Rain, we struck out for Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And then we gave Jackie Brown an honourable mention for 800, uh, over 100. And then what did we do with Walk the Line? <laughs> we just consigned that to the umpire. Yeah. Well, me and the Lord, we got an understanding. We're on a mission from God. So the Oscars are coming up, so we should do a little uh, preview, a little nod to that, and uh, we've seen a fair number of the films. I don't think we've seen them all between us, but uh, we can have a little stab at it. When has not knowing stuff ever stopped us in the past? Um, well, what, what, should we, what should we start with? Actor? Yeah, of actor, yeah, Let's yeah. go with actors. Let's so, do the acting categories. Uh, I'll run through them very quickly. We've got Casey Affleck in Manchester by the Sea, mm-hmm. Andrew Garfield in Hacksaw Ridge, Ryan Gosling in La La Land, Vigo Mortensen in Captain Fantastic, uh, Rogue One in there, and good old Denzel uh, for Fences. So who it's... are you picking out as the sort of highlights from that, do you think? I, th- I mean, Casey Affleck's won the BAFTA yeah. and the yeah. Golden Globe, so he's, you know, the clear frontrunner. If it I wasn't like... for his questionable off-screen antics, I yeah, think he'd have sewn up. I think that's, that's the only thing probably holding him back, but if he's got this far, then... I think it's, yeah. it's going to be between him and Denzel, I think, but I think it'll be Casey. Denzel's got enough, hasn't he? Yeah, I know, but that's what I mean, he's always <laughs> yeah. kind of... I mean, it's an easy one for them to pick, and they can't pick between the others, he'd be like, just fucking give it Denzel, even if they've not seen the film. Because yeah. a lot of them, I read loads of articles that the voters sometimes don't even yeah. watch all the films, so they'll yeah. see someone like Denzel Washington go going... I know, I right. know. <laughs> yeah. it's, like, it's based on a play, fuck it, give I mean, it if you watch the trailer... You, so you watch it and you go, do you know what? Just give, give them both the Oscar now. Yeah. Yeah. That, that that looks Oscar worthy. Yeah. So we're looking Casey Affleck there with a nod to maybe Denzel. I mean, Mortensen, if Viggo Mortensen yeah. wins it, it's not the toughest competition this year, I don't think. No. Um, so. So that's actor. What about best actress in a leading role? Uh, James, would you like to take yeah, take for it. take lead? Oh, here we go. Oh, God, the names. Uh, so <laughs> a- actress in a leading role, Isabella Huppert. <laughs> L. You've done him a mystery here, Johnny. Ruth <laughs> Negger, Negger? Uh, in Loving. Uh, Natalie Niger. Portman. Reese Niger. Is it? If in doubt, go soft G. I'm up north. I'm up north. That's how I, that's how I speak. Uh, Jackie. Uh, and then Emma Stone in La La Land. Just Jackie, as I like to Meryl Streep. No, Natalie <laughs> Portman in Jackie. Emma Stone in La La Land and then Meryl Streep in Florence. Oh, Meryl Streep. Does she just get nominated for anything? She does. It, it's just, if she doesn't make a film, they so just stick her on the end of the list. <laughs> <laughs> it's, got, it's got to be Emma Stone, hasn't it, out of that? I think Natalie, Natalie Portman... I thought would probably get a bit more traction for Jackie because she's yeah, very no good, but she hasn't. Much. No, it's no. not really amounts to anything. So Emma Stone is probably the safe bet. Well, there was a lot of discussion about Amy Adams, wasn't there? That she split her vote between um, Arrival and Nocturnal yeah. Animals, and that people voted for her one or the other. Like when um, United won the treble, and David Ginola won World Player of the uh, World Player of the Year, won PFA Player of the Year. Because all the United players split the votes, so that's what Amy Adams has done, apparently. Because she would have been a... That is surprising she's not in there, yeah. because she's had a very, yeah, very strong I mean, year. Won. Yeah, the films were strong, but were it perform- was it performance strong arrival? I, I can't comment for Nocturnal Animals. I think Nocturnal Animals, she was very good. A bit similar level of composed, yeah. you know, like inner Adams. turmoil. I, I don't think she ever, you know, she gets everything a nice level where it's not over the top. She's, yeah. 
She's very solid. Yeah. So, director, what else have we got here? <laughs> what else have we got here? There's about a thousand categories. <laughs> I mean, there's so many things. No, directed. Thing. So, uh, uh, Dennis Villanueva for Arrival. Villeneuve. Villeneuve, yeah. <laughs> uh, Hacksaw. Uh, like Jacques. Mel Gibson for Hacksaw Ridge. Mel. Um, I'm surprised they let him in. Damien Giselle for La La Land. Giselle. Um, that fella who did Moonlight and the fella who did Manchester by the Sea. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Can I just give a shout out then to Dennis Villeneuve? Uh, Arrival was really well directed, I thought. I know. It's such a shame it's up against La La Land because any other year it would just walk away with it, I think. I think Arrival was a very difficult film to do well and I yeah. think that was the real masterful direction that he managed to make it. Yeah. The fine line between being challenging and not alienating. Whereas Chazelle with uh, La La Land, while it was well directed, he had a lot of other films to base his direction on. Yeah. So, no, I think that's tough though. When you watch like behind the scenes about how it's shot and the camera work, it took a lot of it took a lot of vision and a lot of determination to make a film like that be mm. so successful. It could it could have not been. Um, I'd, I'd give the nod to Villeneuve first and myself. You said Chazelle. I would like. So I think Manchester by the Sea is not a director's film it's it's like a you know it's a actors quality film. drama it's yeah. an actor's film mm-hmm. and uh yeah i think it'd be nice if he got it because i think he's done some some good films recently i think yeah. arrival would you know top off a, a pretty great couple of years for him i hope it wins cinematography surely surely you but would, then la la land yeah. ends really yeah, cinematography is right. excellent in that i just want la la land to win everything it's nominated of course you do it's your favorite <laughs> greatest film you've ever <laughs> seen <laughs> Uh, and finally, the big one, Philip. Best Picture. We've had Best Picture, haven't we? No, we haven't. Our dog, we skipped it. Did we skip it? Yeah. Did we not say it at the start? Oh, you said that, and I said, no, let's finish on it. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yes, you're right. You are right. <laughs> oh, we haven't done Best Actress. Yeah, we did. Did we do best actress? <laughs> Where am I, have you been? Am I being on the planet? I'm going to have a heart attack. To be fair, I, I was out till three in the morning. So, um, <laughs> not, in, not in my best place. You did. Three pints. Um, so yes, best picture. Um, we've got Arrival, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, La La Land, Lion, um, Managed to Buy the Sea, and Moonlight. I love how long the list of best picture yeah. is. Now. They've it extend- used to be five, used to be five didn't they? Used to be five, and then like well, I think one year they Dark Knight. Everyone kicked off yeah. about it, so they're like, well, yeah. what more? So then they have like ten nominees, yeah. and they're like, well, like slow down. Oh, and uh, Meryl Streep, she's on the end <laughs> as well. <laughs> <laughs> With just some film she recorded on her phone. <laughs> so he's. His best film gonna go to La La Land. I think yes, a big it is. I mean, it's won everything Island. else in the build-up. So. I don't want it to, but I think it will. I think we all know it's gonna go. So to what? Would, so you don't want it to, but what would you think is more deserving? I wanted it to go to Arrival because, I, like Johnny said, I think it was the kind of film that really could have been done badly and was would have been so easy to make bad. And I think it was a real triumph, really engrossing. The film is about great. the science of language. Yeah, and it's right. two hours of rip-roaring fun. Yeah. Uh, whereas La La Land, really enjoyed it, good film, but I just really think that, given what they were doing, they couldn't miss. I don't know. I loved Arrival. I loved it. And it was the best film I saw last year. But then I saw La La Land. <laughs> and it's just hard to see it go to anything else, unfortunately. Even though Arrival is beautiful and it's so well crafted and the story's just fantastic and the acting's great and there's, there's, I don't have a fault with it mm. I just it's just so tough to see it not going to La La Land 
I think it inevitably will win, but I think Moonlight sort of snuck in a couple yeah. of awards along the way, so that would be a bit of a. Would have won the Golden Globe, didn't it, Moonlight? Yeah, for best best drama. So that'd be a bit of an. I upset. think that would be yeah. I think that would be the curveball if it wasn't La La Land. City of stars, are you shining just for me? City of stars. There's so much that I can't see. Well, listeners, we're going to wrap it up with an Oscars quiz. Oh, yeah. Just for the listeners. I forgot about the quiz. Oh, it just gets better, a... doesn't it? Ah, oh, this episode is so good. <laughs> there is so much good stuff in here today. What a treat for oh. everyone in the room and outside the room. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> there are two worlds. There's the inside of the room and the outside of the room. There's little the in between. Uh, so yeah, I've got nine questions. So question number one: the pressure uh, just of that. <laughs> who has won the most awards by an individual? Eh. Who? Walt Disney. Yes. Uh, for a bonus quarter of a point, how many? Twenty-six. Ooh, not too far. Twenty-two. Oh, well done, James. Yeah, twenty-two for Walt Disney between nineteen thirty-two and nineteen sixty-nine. So it's not Meryl Streep. <laughs> There's no. still many years left. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. She'll pick up more than that this year alone. Uh, question number two. Two men have won consecutive Best Actor awards. Name either. Ooh. Daniel Day-Lewis doesn't make enough films in a row. No, that's He true. just waits every ten years and gets his. <laughs> yep. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. 93-94. Philadelphia and Forrest Gump. The other one? Spencer Tracy. Never heard of the fella. So, 2-0 to James so far. Uh, this is going to be who gets closest to, so I'll give you both oh. a guess here. Uh, but I'm going to let Johnny go first because he's 2 0 down. So, question number three How long is the allotted time for an acceptance speech now? Oh, I'm just going to say a minute. James? A minute 38. It's 45 seconds. A minute 38? Yeah. The allotted time, very specific. Someone yeah. has said a long time in a, in a laboratory yeah. working out yeah. the precise yeah. amount of time people are allowed. Uh, apparently, in, in the 70s, I can't remember exactly when, someone did a speech that lasted seven minutes and they said, from then on, 45 seconds is the allotted time. So, 2-1. Uh, question number four. Who has won the most acting Oscars? Mm, Daniel Day-Lewis. No, second most. Eh. Meryl Streep. No. Oh! Is it actor or... It, yeah, either. Catherine Hepburn. Yes, Catherine Hepburn with four. This is a bit of a, this is a, bit of a curveball, and I'm going to give this to whoever, whoever's answer I like the most. It's like we're playing Phoebe Ball in Friends, right? <laughs> so, question number five. Who was Oscar Pierce, who the Oscars are named after? Oh, I feel like I've read this, but no idea. Well, James goes um, first then. He was, he was the man who who made the statues, but it's they're actually perfectly moulded of of his body. Like he looked like Ooh. that. He was completely smooth. I quite like it, and it's not a million miles away, Johnny. You're gonna have to go some to beat that. He was the handyman at the academy, <laughs> and they just thought, you know, Oscar's what? the handyman. So no, he's not. He Oscar Pierce was the uncle of the Academy's librarian, Margaret Herrick. And when she saw the statue, she said, that looks like my Uncle Oscar. So, James, oh. remarkably, <laughs> remarkably similar. Wow. Uh, yeah. That now. looks like my Uncle Oscar. <laughs> uncle Oscar was a weird man. <laughs> yeah. Very few facial features. Very and, tall. And, very and slender. <laughs> very gold. Question number six. 
Now, I'm not sure this is true, but I couldn't be bothered to do the full <laughs> research for it. That's what a is great the, question. What is the only film to win every award that it was nominated for? <laughs> Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Yeah. Correct. See, I, I yeah, so yeah. I don't doubt that it won every award it was nominated for. What I doubt is it's the only film that it's won. Because ah, I swear some films must have been nominated for one and won one. Yes, that's very true. But I didn't have time to go through 89 years of Academy Awards, so well, I just took just that as Well, that's just This is why this podcast <laughs> is going down the drain. So down the drain. Actually, last week was our best listeners for ages. I think it's because it was La La Land. What, four? Yeah. <laughs> Someone else apart from us is listening. <laughs> no, I listened twice. Um, question number seven. What is the first best picture winner that wasn't in black and white? I don't know old Gone films. with the Wind. Yes! Oh! <laughs> no, I was going to give you the year. Oh, I was going to say four, the Wizard of Oz. You needed that, Johnny. That was bringing it back to 4-3. Four, three. Four, three. This is tight. I love how evenly matched you two guys are. Uh, question number eight. In 1973, why did Marlon Brando refuse his Academy Award? Because the Native Americans yes. were having a bad time of it. So he sent... Pocahontas or someone instead. The plight of the Native Americans. Love it. Yeah, you sent... Uh, Na- naturally, you know, that's a reason to turn down your Oscar. Yeah. They, yeah. They, maybe they did it on a reservation, I don't know. It's a Tom um, Hiddleston move. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's four all. I love that, after eight. And I've only got one left. This is why I did nine. Oh, yeah. It isn't why I did nine. I just didn't have a tenth. Um, question number nine. Two people have won posthumous... Acting awards, okay. <laughs> you can name the first one. I'm not going to give you the point for it, but who is Heath it? Ledger. Heath Ledger for the Dark Knight. Who is the other one? Walt Disney. No, no! acting. I'm oh, sorry, I didn't hear who was acting. Sorry, I didn't hear. Who was... I just heard posthumous. Uh... Posthum- no, posthumous. No, there's been quite a few posthumous winners. He, uh, yeah, Walt Disney did win a posthumous one. But this is posthumous acting. Yeah. Okay. James Dean. No. no he didn't win one. 1976. Should I give you the film? Yeah, you're going to have to, I think. Network. Peter Finch. Peter Finch. Did you both get it? As he said Peter, I was like Peter Finch. So oh, well then... I just got, Is everybody I a, a winner? Heat. I call that a dead heat. Everyone gets their best <laughs> competed award. <laughs> Yay! Most improved next week. This is like really shit school I'm very, awards. I'm very impressed. Most improved. I'm very impressed. Thanks. <laughs> you go. Where shall I go? What shall I do? Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Well, guys, we hope you've enjoyed the show. Thanks very much for listening to us. We really appreciate it. If you are that fourth listener out there, thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Yeah. Uh, So, hope you enjoy the Oscars, which are coming up in about 10 days' time. We will be back after that. Probably have a little nod looking back and then review a new film for you guys. So, thanks very much, Johnny, for being with us tonight. Thank you. And thank you, James. Cheers. Uh, And to highlight the plight of the Native Americans, here is Sachin Littlefeather to play us out. I'm representing Marlon Brando this evening, and he has asked me to tell you that he very regretfully cannot accept this very generous award. And the reasons for this being are the treatment of American Indians today by the film industry, excuse me, 